On this edition of Discologist, Eduardo and Kevin are catching up with Texas singer-songwriter Israel Nash to talk about his new album, Ozarka. Ozarka continues Nash's tradition of using the cosmic sounds of artists like Tom Petty and Pink Floyd to try and get at the root of what not just makes us human, but how we can be better humans. And like all of Israel's previous work, Ozarka is a triumph. With that bit of praise out of the way, please make yourself comfortable. Your experience begins now. People are cheering for right now in water. What do you tell? They're cheering for our guest. Yeah, uh, they should be. We're cheering on the inside for uh, one Mr. Israel Nash. Um, been a fan of Israel's work for a long time now. Uh, if you aren't familiar, uh, think Neil Young. Think uh, just your your perfect distilled Americana like country ish laid back cosmic vibes like somehow yeah. he has uh, dialed that in i mean up until this record i would have i would have described him as basically like a really interesting sort of like pastoral yeah um but like and like kind of like kind of like ornate without being fussy but like really well put together songs that are that are sort of like mystical seeker you know prairie mm-hmm. Uh, with a, you know, distinctly pastoral feel. And this album is a, even though it's about the Ozarks, it's a a huge departure from all that sonically. Yeah. It's sonically, it leans a little more into uh, war on drugs territory, which it, you know, look, all us middle-aged men, we get there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just a matter of time. There is just a matter of time. You, you too will arrive at the war on drugs. I can tell you, you will pass through it too. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, he has a new album out called Ozarker. Uh, it has to do with a lot of family stories. Uh, it is as potent, I think, as any of his other stuff. Uh, it, it Again, it always just astounds me how dialed in this guy is to his own style, to his own music. And he just he just does the thing. Um, yeah, but yeah. there's a lot that goes into it, a lot behind it. So that's what we sat down and talked about. So, uh, you know, we said this with Jason Hawk Harris. If you aren't familiar with Israel Nash, you've never listened to the show, first of all. But if you are familiar with Israel Nash, uh, go get familiar. Just yeah. power through a few albums. Ozarker is out now. Uh, lifted yep. a few years ago was such a lifted as an masterpiece. Um, yeah. It's magnificent, but uh, go do that. Come back and then hit play right now and get ready to hear us talk with the man himself, Israel Nash, all the way from Dripping Springs, which is one of the best places in the country. So uh, here's the episode. Here's our chat, and we'll talk to you for a few minutes on the other side. The NBA Finals yeah, yeah, yeah. or March Madness before that, and so I feel like it kind of grew my appreciation for sports again, based on that. And I think the meritocracy idea of like these guys are like legitimately like amazing and the best of what they do, 
it's cool mm-hmm. to see that sort of you know that system yeah. It's such a great you know? sports are such a great like lens to talk about, you know, what it means to be successful, right? Like sort of like results versus process. There's there's just all these ways yeah. that you can sort of like lock into like, all right, we did the right things, but the ball just wasn't falling tonight, right? Do you, does that mean you chuck the system out? No, it means you need a little bit of luck sometimes to win too. Exactly. I love yeah. I love how applicable it is, you know, to life and and to music. Like all all of my guys are kind of sports fans so we talk about like putting on a show that you know feels like team basketball like 0.5 second ball movement you know and it's just like (laughs) finding the open man um and celebrating in that kind of sense like being in that moment of kind of victory and you know rhythm being in a rhythm i guess you know you you could totally see when a game is out of rhythm you know it's like oh man it's just like um and it's, it's kind of funny to use that word because it's so so musical, you know. Um, and a band can sound good, but man, a band when when they're in rhythm, like just getting back from this tour, like you know, we did so much rehearsal, and, and I'm a big advocate of like rehearsing, like I'm going to play it. And so I'm in the studio here, like we have the PA set up, monitors, we dial stuff in, we record stuff, we you know play at a normal stage volume. Um, but nothing is like being on the stage. It does crank it all up another another level, but we're super prepared. But within a couple, a few shows, it's just hot. You know, it's just like butter. It's just that team basketball yeah. where it's just a beautiful movement of parts, you know, through like segues in between songs, just these delicate things. And uh, so, yeah, you just see the beauty of what happens when people come together and work on something and, humans are still pretty cool and good at that, you know, despite AI and technology. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to refer to this record from now on as jock jams based on what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Ozarker is jock jams. I love it. Uh, this is sort of a good way, good, good way to get into this because a lot of this record, uh, first of all, congratulations on the record. Uh, Thank it, you. it is fantastic. Uh, like all your work, uh, you, you have this certain, like lane that you hit every single time. And it's just like, well, a, that's his real Nash. There's no, you can't like you sing. And it's like, that's him. And, but it's always the bar is up here, you know, for your records. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of what you do is about communication and communication in sports is communicating with each other, communi- like you said, communicating with the band, but communicating uh, with each other and the audience. When uh, to start, sort of, I guess at the outset of the creation of this record, you know, we all just went through like the <laughs> pandemic, and you are, I know, you tour uh, not sporadically, but you do tour a lot, like in Europe more than mm-hmm. in the U.S. and you know, that seems to be kind of your lifeblood. So just creatively speaking, acknowledging that you're, you are kind of isolated in Dripping Springs for people who don't yeah. know. It's out there a little ways. Yeah. But how, how did that, like, did, how much did you notice being out there? And, and how did that affect, like, how you were writing? Because you've got a family now. You have to, you know, like all of us, we had to take care of, there were things we had to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like talking to, to more and more artists over the last couple of years, I think we're still trying to find that, that rhythm, you know, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that we thought maybe something would kind of be turned back on. Um, but, you know, it's difficult. I mean, touring is still a very difficult thing. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, with it, it always had its, had its challenges, but like now it's even more with some of the most, ex- the biggest costs of touring are the things that are, are the most expensive now, you know? Yeah. Gas and, and housing and food. I mean, these are like, you know, keeping a band and all these things going are more expensive than ever. Um, you know, like, so, uh, so I don't think we've, uh, we, I think we haven't really, this is my first tour to just support an album since, um, the lifted album in 2018. Right. And, um, so I think I've, for a long time, I just waited to have like, almost like a, maybe an album cycle time kind of frame worth of not necessarily normalcy, but of just like here, here's the world, you know, Oh, here's, here's where things stand. Here's where, where music is, where the, you know, cause we've just, I've just seen so much even over the pandemic and talking to, I mean, I I just, I'm really always trying to talk to people like, Hey, how's this thing going? Like, what's, how's your, your branch of, you know, music industry stuff going and, and across, and that's what's unique about Europe is having friends there too. I mean, I, I just spoke to a to a songwriter from Sweden um, when I was over there, and in a lot of those like European countries, they'll do kind of like spot on. Like they'll have money toward music industry data and reports, mm-hmm. you know, on the music yeah. industry. And they had estimated in Sweden that like thirty seven percent of the music um, industry people had had moved on to other um oh, wow. careers so i feel like there's just stuff like that globally you know that's just sort of a rocky space and finding new finding the new world i guess um yeah so uh because i you know i've always been used to being like i mean i always wanted to live in the country i mean i kind of grew up like that and then i just lived in the city for and in New York for you know six years and I mean, it immediately came to the country and built a studio and like got off to yeah. the grid and and I I just knew that's what songwriters did that's what some of my heroes did you know like they got ranches and they went to Woodstock or whatever um because you know the duality it's a simple place you know you can get away and it, life becomes kind of like simple really simple you know um yeah but the cities and touring give that duality because I also love the energy of a city. That's where action is. That's where the, that's where the music's going to take us, you know? Um, yeah. But I think for a lot of artists, including myself, it's like, I'm excited to go announce a bunch of dates finally for the first time in almost five years, really. So yeah, everyone's just had these sporadic things or pockets of shows. And I just haven't had a full plate of, you know, touring and having an album. So to me, yeah, this album will mean a lot just to get it out, to play it, to have, you know, two years under the belt of like, where, where are we now in this whole thing? There are fewer festivals going on. I mean, it's across layers of things, you know, it's like fewer, fewer things like what you guys are doing, fewer, um, 
you know, in, in studio performances of some of the radio, like all kinds of layer stuff where it's just yeah. different, you know, and less. And uh, yeah, and the economics changed a lot too. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I don't think people when, are talking about that as much as they should, but. No, no, I, no, definitely. Um, with, there's a, there's a through line in most of your work, I think of positivity. Yeah. And uh, you, we see a lot of artists who wrote albums during the pandemic or immediately after sort of this directly direct reaction to that. And Ozarker, I think not on the surface, at least is a reaction to that. Um, and it remains very positive, even though you always have an eye towards like criticizing uh, just like sort of social injustices, I think very, very subtly in your songs. Yeah. Were, was there anything you wrote for this though, that you were like, man, this is just too dark. <laughs> this is not, this is not going on an Israel Nash album. No, I mean, that's a whole nother set of songs that, that I, I had listened to, you know, probably you know, eight months ago or whatever. I was like, oh, those mm-hmm. will never come out. Like it was just too. <laughs> yeah. Too, I don't know, almost like life imitating art, imitating life, like <laughs> eating itself. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I feel like these songs, you know, I, I guess what I feel though is sometimes when you try to write songs about a moment in time, it just, it can kind of just be lost, you know? And, and I feel like artists do better traditionally writing less about, you know, a, a movement per se or something that's so defined and more about highlighting what art always does, or it's just the human condition. It's, you know, love, loss, hope, you know, sorrow, um, happiness, all these just human things that, that it doesn't matter who you are uh, or how educated you are or, you know, or what you know about music or, how well read you are that you just are a human being and you feel these things and it's about art connecting with that. So, you know, I feel like a lot of those, some of those songs that were written there were just, you know, too COVID, too Trump, too boring and, you know, not even artistic in retrospect, you know, um, the art should be bigger and art should have more beauty in it, I guess, you know? Um, but, and that's a timeless thing. So songs should be timeless, you know, too. Yeah. And these emotions are timeless. So I feel like if you're tapping into those things, you know, so that's what I was trying to yeah. do with this record. I think a lot was just like, not, you know, a lot of my other records could be like kind of more poetic or metaphor, or like left to some interpretation with lyrics. And, mm-hmm. and, and I wanted, that's what I was, you know, I was trying to aim and aiming to kind of make my like Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen kind of like anthemic rock records. And, and it's like, well, why do you like those records? You know? And I started to be like, well, it's, you know, it's not pretentious, you know, it's just like songs that anyone can kind of feel, you know, right. it's not, yeah. you don't have to have a literary degree or something, you know, and, listen to NPR to think this is cool or something, you know, like you could yeah, just yeah, be yeah, in yeah, every, yeah. any person that's, Oh, Hey, have you ever loved and lost? You ever had that feeling? Well, come on, you know, jump on. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and just songs that everyone could sing. Um, so, you know, this song is like the lyrics are more like straightforward and accessible. And my voice is like louder and less in more of an instrument um, kind of, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to make these kind of stories. And that's the other part of the kind of the Heartland sort of record. That's like they're the stories of the people, you know, and the people there. So, um, yeah, it would allow me to start thinking more about my own because I think it's very easy for me to think about like writing a record from stories of going, what's going on in the last six months or a year of my life. And a lot of these are about just the stories that I grew up hearing. I'm like, Oh, so this inspired me to kind of like think about all just all those stories that you, your folks tell you like, Oh yeah, your great grandfather did this thing or that thing. And Oh yeah. You, you know, we went to this concert and, 1972 and it was wild and we saw you know the yeah. TV brothers and you know just that stuff <laughs> yeah. that like you remember as a kid and it's like oh man my parents were like young once you know or something um, right so it allowed me to kind of just flip through those memories and just talk to my folks about like tell me more about this story you know like I remember this from yeah. a 10 11 year old perspective but what is it you know what's the humanity side of it. So then they would tell me some of these stories and, and they're not just like, okay, that'll work. That's a song. Some they were pretty heavy, heavy stories, you know? And sure. Um, I don't know if you want to get into any of those, the like lost in America is, it's just like resonating when I'm ta- telling fans about it and telling the story. And it was, and it was, it was just such a powerful song. Um, that it, the story that I had re- had heard as a kid was that, my middle name is Nash and I was named after, um, the family friend. My mom was the youngest of seven. She had six older brothers and, uh, mm-hmm. and Nash was there was a f- family friend and he was just like nice to her and unlike her brothers and stuff. You know? and, but Nash was like athletic, good looking and, and like popular dude. And he got drafted to Vietnam. And I remember the story that, that when he came home that the screen door would slam and that he would hit hit the ground in the living room and they'd be all hanging out and she had kind of explained it when i was young that about you know post-traumatic stress and the different shell shock and all these things mm-hmm. so i i asked her about that story i was like because I, I wanted to write that song with my name in it it was a great example of what i'm talking about of yeah. like yeah. past yeah. connecting you to someone i didn't know and just a story um and my mom sent me this article um, from uh, a Time Magazine article from nineteen like ninety two called "Lost in America," and yeah. Nash, among like a number of other veterans, um, moved to Hawaii, lived in the jungle, in the t- in tents, oh, just wow, off yeah. the grid, and they called them bush vets, um, and. Uh, so it just became so powerful to be like, whoa, that's, I just remember half, right. just knew half that story. Um, so yeah, it just started to make those songs feel like story songs that are my own experience feel so much more closer to me. And then tell, sharing that and playing these songs yeah. for, for people have made them closer to it as well, you know, and thinking of their own stories, you know, how, how old are your parents? Um, they're early seventies. 
Early 70s, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think there's a lot of that. I know Ed Waters from Brazil, so he definitely has a lot of that. I have like, a, like my mom is 84 now, but like she was on the jury for the Kent State trials. Oh, wow. Oh, no shit. Right, and, and it's a thing that we've never actually really talked about. She's just been like, here's a book. And and I'm um, soon, obviously, soon I have to, I think, but uh, talk to her and be like, what was that like? You were, you know, you went to Kent State for art school and then this happens and you were out of school, obviously, but like you were in that community. Yeah. And the only way somebody like my age understands that is through a book, a documentary, not like, oh, this is lived, but yeah. All our generation younger has these stories that are going to resonate, I think. And, and that song in particular, like, resonates. And, that, and then stories like that. Yeah. Um, Just, like, real stories yeah. of our, you know. Because sometimes I feel that, you know, maybe I was just, you just have to assume just, like, the information space that we live in today. You know, and I, I'm not that guy that's trying to preach the ills or dooms of that. but But when you just think about, like, 20, 25 years ago or something of it's just like news is presented in a, in a morning paper. Maybe they have an evening yeah. edition, you know, if it's yeah. maybe yeah. the times of the post or some bigger cities, you know, it's, it was not a 24 hour news channel. It would just be like your nightly news, you know, for an hour. Um, there just really wasn't enough information to get to you to sort, sort through, right. you know, but now that there's so much information, like does it does it make it harder for us to connect to our past or to to let those are is our brain just not big enough to be able to put all of it in there, you know, at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I, I sometimes I just think that it's just cool when you tell a story of that, you, you know, like Eduardo being Brazil, and you just like truly realize how like not necessarily, I mean culture is just like people and places and it comes from a real place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like a real yeah. place in Ohio, you know, or like a real place, you know, in Brazil or a real place in uh, the middle of the Ozarks in Missouri. Like yeah. it's so much bigger than, uh, than we can even understand, you know, the, of how we come from these places and how we, you know, how we take pieces from those places and bring it into the world, you know? Um, but it's that shared experience that's super cool. So I don't know. I just, I just think it's important for people to think about the past in a way that maybe is not always just how bad it might might have been, but how it, right. how it how it took that to bring us to where we're here, and we tell our stories, and hopefully they get 150, 200 years down the road, um, and then we're just kind of connected in humanity like that. Well, I, yeah. you know, I always think about that, like there's that Grail Marcus phrase about, um, you know, the old weird America, right? That he writes uh -huh. in like the fifties or sixties maybe. And he's talking about America in the twenties and thirties. And, and my takeaway is always like, there's always a, an old weird version of, of your place, right? Like it's just always yeah. like 30 years back, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. the, I mean, I mean, I mean, in some ways, you know, that I, I always tell people that the nineties are probably closer to the sixties than they are to the two thousands. I think you know, that's, like that's fascinating. I, I think you're right, though. Yeah, um, fashion and, and, like everywhere about it. Like media, you know, media was as highest in the '90s, actually. Like, yeah, yeah, journalists throughout the country, and you know, I mean, 
And at the time we thought we were like drowning in information, right? And we were like, oh, the, <laughs> yeah. the, new, the news won't leave me alone. Like little did we know we were going to invent these boxes to carry <laughs> around to like bother yeah. us all day long, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how did I always feel like so much has changed, but like somehow like the NBA and like sports have gotten better and bigger, you know? They're, they're being perfected the music, somehow. The yeah. music spaces have been kind of smaller and fragmented. But man, the power of being a, a national basketball association, or that looks pretty much like it did in the 90s, right? Where it's like Jordan is king. Yeah. Sports were yeah. Well, rad. Like, <laughs> like I always remember that I think, when, I think when Nirvana played SNL, Charles Barkley was the host. Like I think if you yeah. go back and look, right? It was like 94 yeah, right. or something like that. Yeah. And that's right. And, yeah. And, and Barkley was like a big bad guy at that point. He was sort of like, he was like, he was sort of, you know, depicted as this like terrifying menace to the safety of players. Like, I'm and not a role model. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. have to be a role model. That was like <laughs> right, a right, taboo right. in America. Yeah. That line, yeah. you know, <laughs> and now he's just all, you know, everyone's daffy uncle. And now he's like a libertarian, like, <laughs> just like, and I, I love that show, by the way. I think that's one of the best shows on television, you know, uh, is that, mm. that that should be back on soon? The uh, yeah, the Ernie it, and what does it call it with Tinny and Shaq? I mean, that is, I get, yeah, I'm, no, it is. Um, it's, um, uh, if you if you give interesting people microphones and not a lot to do and like not enough to discuss, they will find interesting interesting ways yeah, to relate. It is, right? it yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> well, that is so I mean, cool. Yeah. Well, you did. I mean, like with this record, I think you did. I I texted Kevin a couple nights ago because clearly I hadn't done my homework and. uh read some of these things. And I was like, Kevin, is this record a collection of short stories? Um, because I hadn't really gotten sort of the bigger context yet, uh, about where Ozarker came from. But I, but I mean, I think, you know, it, 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 you know, going in blind and not knowing, uh, not knowing anything beyond, beyond the record title. I mean, it was clear to me that I was sort of making notes. I was like, Oh, this is like a Winesburg, Ohio. This is like the Dubliners or something. You know, this is, this is an album with a sense of place. Um, I guess my question for you is like, do you feel, you know, so you sit down with your parents to kind of collect all these old stories. You're thinking probably you've got this project in mind and, uh, and you see this record, but you're also probably thinking that there's stuff you want, like for you, just for your own peace of mind, your own sense of yourself in the world or whatever. Right. And the record almost becomes like incidental to that. Um, does it does it feel like you got that? Like, was the process kind of what you were what you were hoping it would be? Yeah, I, it was because I feel like I I have a memory of every stage, and sometimes like sometimes a record can be like you know like a like a dizzy vacation where you just can't really remember all of it. It's hazy or you know something because oh, yeah. um, there's so much going on, but. I just have a lot of clarity of each stage actually with this record. So I guess in that way, it's, yeah. it's very rewarding because I have that memory, you know, and like, um, cause every stage of this was, it was really organic, but it, it had, it had an organization to it that facilitated, you know, uh, progress, I guess. And like encouraged the process, you know? So, yeah. um, even down to, cause I kind of got some of these stories together, you know, you get like one song that kind of becomes an anchor song, which can't stop was the first one that just became the, 
yeah, I'm going to do this. I want to do this faster, uh, upbeat. That's I mean, I wanted to have something that I could play live. It just felt great where people can move, you know, and, um, but I wanted to, uh, I had noticed that a number of friends had been doing the like, songwriting retreats. So I was like, okay, what's that about? It's like, I, I, I kind of, and I'm telling my wife, like, Hey, I kind of want to do this. And she's like, well, didn't you need a retreat in the hill country and have a studio? <laughs> <You know? laughs> <I'm there>. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Um, and that's, that's the challenge that I realized after having this for like five, six years is that I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I, I liked all my projects to touch this. So I'm here. I get, I mean, it's also a financial consideration. I get to use my own place and save some money. And that was always another part of this. Um, but I always wanted to touch this, but even when I made Ozark or I went, you know, I went out to LA a couple of times. So I realized that because mm. part of the joy is the movement and just like going places and doing stuff and getting away. Um, so anyway, I was wanting to write for this. So I remember a lot of the stages of the writing and I wrote like five songs in five days and it was just like a super like powerful writing. Um, cause I was trying to find a crazy place to stay and I was looking at, I even looked at like cabins in Colorado, like no electricity and you had to you get a four wheeler to it. You know, I'm like, <laughs> what the hell am I doing? You know? So I just got a place at Wimberley, which is like 30 minutes away in the whole country, like some on the river and just rented a really nice house there for five days. And I brought, um, I'll show you. I brought the, I bought this simple setup and I, I got this four track. This Fostech. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Wow. It's like an 80s. It's <laughs> yeah. an 80s four track. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I wanted to keep my my rig like super simple. So it would be just kind of writing focused. So I just had that. Um, a little drum machine, um, a guitar, you know, just kind of keeping it like that's how I used to demo like when I was like 14, you know, yeah. with like a yeah. task can port yeah. in a studio. Um, before computer stuff, you know, and like, um, so yeah, I just went there and had that and just like bang these songs out. And it was just all day, kind of all night. Yeah. And it was just really, really cool to do it like that. And it was only 30 Wait. minutes away. The girls came out to visit it the last oh, nice. day, you know, but nice. When, when you start a song like this, um, what I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this, um, what artist or song, this maybe even a song, but generally an artist is going through your head where you're like, at some point there's like a little nugget of inspiration. Like I want to, I want to be that. Yeah. Of like course. Not, not I mean, necessarily a so specific target, but like, like for me, it's, it's always, it always lands on Gilmore, like David Gilmore. <laughs> I, I'm like, you know what? That is, that is where I'm at um, for now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's a Gilmore's a default. I feel like in case you don't <laughs> yeah. know, yeah. Gilmore. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, as a songwriter, it's like you know your roadmap. It, it is all these references. It's all this musical history that's mm -hmm. that's a part of us, and it's part of the you know telling retelling these stories or putting new shape to it. Yeah. And, and so whenever I get into like a songwriting kind of vibe you know it's, i write with it's not like i have a bunch of songs and then say okay i guess i have a record it's like i write a song and i'm like oh i got these ideas for what a record's gonna be like you know right so 
when that happens, I like I start surrounding myself with that kind of music too, you know. And yeah. so then I'm listening to a lot of like 80s petty, you know, because I wanted to do something that had some synth and some like fast drum beat stuff. And yeah. So I was really just kind of having that era and 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 the so then you're kind of getting into like, oh, I'm gonna get some boss. Um born in the USA, tunnel of love stuff, you yeah. know. Ooh, I mean yes. You know, you start, you just start to listen to that stuff. You know, you just start to make that kind yep. of the stuff you're listening to. And it just kind of, it's Bob Seger, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I got to see Seger's one of his last concerts before the pandemic. Um, but, you know, he, he just has such great songs, but so you, I found kind of those key players that were sort of doing that, I guess the Heartland rock space, you know, um, mm -hmm. in that time period. So you just start listening to that stuff and it just kind of seeps into the bones. So then when you pick up a guitar, you're like, da, da, da. you're like, Whoa, what, what, <laughs> yeah. what just happened? You know? Yeah. Um, so those are just all those little tricks I like to do to kind of for the set and setting for the acid yeah, trip yeah, yeah. of the song, you know? Yeah. Um, because, because there definitely has to be a leap from when you start, <laughs> doing that like to like making it your own right like you can't just like 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 i can whip out a gilmore solo, solo whatever yeah. like but 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 it's just like i you have to be like okay i know where i started but how is this not just exactly a David gilmore ripoff exactly yeah yeah i mean i think that's through um again where it's less where it's just letting it's kind of soak in and mm -hmm. and it was always so driven by like drum beats and something keeping me fast you know and and just kind of like yeah. having guitars at the ready plugged in you know ready to go drums everything i just like ready to record too i've got you know sometimes when i do this i'll just crank on like the drum machine even just to be like mm. oh give me a good tempo because then once you start playing a guitar like your hands just start moving <laughs> you know you're not thinking yeah. about it too much you're just like oh it's going so I think I just do a lot of stuff like that to kind of be inspired, but not, not be a mirror of yeah. it, you know? I'm trying to think, did you leave, like, cause you mentioned Tunnel of Love and that has a lot to do with like electronic drums, which is why a lot of like people like don't love that Springsteen album, yeah. even though it's probably some of his best writing. Yeah, it? it's but so good. Did you, did you leave like, cause Patrick Halloran from My Morning Jacket yeah. played drums on this, right? Did you leave any electronic drums on this? I'm trying, I'm trying to just listen in my head no um no i mean i think we did i think we did some stuff where we might have some verses that i take that back because like kevin is such like a he's such a master like analog kind of synth guy like i don't know if you've ever seen guys like make like with those kind of four tracks where they'll make loops out of those with yeah. foil <laughs> and start playing the not i mean yeah. you yeah. know so like Here's a string and a coat hanger. Yes, and just exactly. It in. Yeah. <laughs> he just will start making these crazy kind of sonic things that just has so much confidence, you know, just banging away, just like, you know, just like or orchestral almost, you know? Um, so I do take that back. Like he would like have some layers of some stuff that would be where he would build some drum samples on a four track. Um, yeah. And, uh, but, but mostly it was just, man just drums in in this room in this corner back there and pat's just such a heavy hitter i mean he just cranks that thing um and because the drums are just so big on this record i mean i've never had yeah drums that that big um 
but yeah, no, there's, it kind of started off all the demos were these kind of drum machines. But when we got in here, we just kind of let the band be a big, a big part of it. So we just were all in here tracking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In terms, um, you know, in terms of how you were, um, kind of shepherding these songs, right? Like sort of helping them go from, from, from demo to the full, the full thing. Did you ever, um, uh, you know, I guess how, how soon did you know that, that you were kind of swinging for the fences that you wanted these to be like big kind of like arena sounding, uh, things. I knew from like before I wrote the songs, you know what I mean? After that first song, Can't Stop. So like I knew that that was part of the, that those kind of records were these anthemic songs that I wanted to sing along to. So that really became, um, I was trying to write songs like that. So like Ozarker is like my first, as a, I think every songwriter has to have a Shalala song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah, kind of, yeah. you have to have in your catalog. So here's my, my Shalala. Yeah. It's a chorus of just Shalala. Yeah. Um, but that's on purpose. You know, I wasn't being lazy. It was like, Hey, everyone can sing that, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I want, I ultimately, again, I was thinking so much about the live setting is I want to go play this and I want everyone to sing it. You know, that's powerful. Um, so, I was always thinking about that with these choruses, just melodies. It's hard to say. It's not like, I don't want to say it's like a process or, you know, a a rubric, but it's like, was always part of the inspiration of it, you know, just to keep it. And I don't mean that like, cool. I don't have to do much. I meant that I I almost had to like trim a lot of stuff. There's a lot of nuanced stuff in there because I wanted it to be just as clean as it possibly could. So I was like, shaving off lyrics to just to meet to meet lyrics with like drum fills right i mean right. just stuff of that maybe no one will ever hear and notice that but it's trying to trim the fat as much as any place that i could you know well and it seems it seems a little bit like one of those cases where maybe like that that ethos uh kind of like it kind of i see it kind of mirroring what's going on in the songs by which i mean like not to sort of be too tidy about this but it does seem like this is a record where like you know everyone's going through something different but also everyone's kind of trying to move forward in some way like that seems to me to be the common sort of string here is that and you hear it in the choruses you hear it in just sort of you know what people are trying to do and it it's it's really it's just really uh it's really striking to me i guess that um that you know what we're left with this maybe circles back to to kevin's point about the sort of the uplifting side of this like it's it's really not it's not a scared album right it's an album where like Mm -hmm. when uh you know when i think it's your grandmother who sort of waits for a year um you know maybe she falters a little bit but like a year is a long time to go on on faith yeah right (laughs) i mean totally yeah (laughs) no contact um yeah but it, but it, but I guess uh, it speaks a lot to like to maybe what you were trying to capture here, some sort of sense of like the need to move forward and and being ready to move forward without fear. Yeah, I I, I hope so. I mean, that's what you know. That's I'm so excited to just get the rest of these songs out because I feel like we've been talking about the album and putting songs out all summer. Yeah. Um, I'm just excited for people to hear what you guys have heard to kind of put it all into context because i think there's a song i mean i hate to sound something like this, but I think there's a song for 
for everyone. And it's just a record, you know, that is just like a collection of songs where I hope that people just want to listen to it again, you know, um, and, and take solace in music because music is, is still such a powerful power. You know, it's like music is not in our, in the veins of our, it's not in our pop culture. Like it was in the nineties, yeah. right? Like we're yeah. talking about it. So right. it's so thinned out in that way, but you were talking, talking to you guys and then going to play shows, you know, like I just got back from these shows and the last show I played was for, you know, 750 people sold out shows singing the choruses of these, of these songs, you know? Right. Um, and it's like, even though when it feels kind of the signs feel thin and not as strong as they used to be, it's like songs and people is all, all it ever was, you know? And that is still very real, you know? I mean, I just met generations of families members that were fans, like grandpa, you know, the dad, his son. Amazing. I mean, just like real stuff. So, you know, yeah. along along those lines, uh, I've been asking people who who can sing <laughs> this question a good bit. Um, if you really think about it, even though it's communicating, like communicating through singing is is kind of weird. You know, it's not like you can just say it, but it is like if you if you just think about it, it's kind of weird. Like a show tune play. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of like you could say I'm going to the store, but you're like I'm going to the store. You know, and why why do you think it it's also magical so why do you think that that specific type of communication works so well and for you you're you're gifted with just a voice obviously you've worked on it there's training i mean this doesn't happen just by accident but uh you know your voice is on some frequency that you hear it and it's just like yeah i guess i guess i'm going to listen to what that guy's saying yeah i mean I guess the power of people singing, I guess, is a, the repetition oh, adds exactly. to memory, you know? Yeah. So maybe they carry that message, the lyrics or the melody with them. You know, I mean, I assume yeah. that's probably the biggest power. And, you know, you look at the old, like, you know, the catalog of recorded music and how, you know, the the full catalog was brought over from from europe across and mixed in you know everyone has these similar melodies and yeah um, yeah. they're only a a limited amount of chords and you know chords that can really go together and tempos that make sense to the ear are enjoyable you know these kind of human truths that are there i guess um so yeah i feel like people do communicate because they they maybe they hear that message and they carry that in their memory, you know, and then maybe they're singers that can kind of with their voice, convince that message, you know, the, the preachers of that message, you know, the, um, and, and I think that's, that's at the very best at the very highest level of music, maybe, or spiritual connection of something that's bigger than us. So, bringing form to the formless, you know, but at the very least people are just humming and having a good time. Um, yeah. And all of that it's, seems uh, to be pretty good. It's, it's like you can walk into a, a church choir and you can be completely like a religious, like everything, and then hear these people singing and it, it, it affects you. Yes. Like it, it just, and you don't even know what they're saying. 
Yes. Or they could be saying something completely antithetical to your beliefs. And you're just like, I don't know. I, I feel good right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's, it, it's something I'm trying to figure out because it's, it's just DNA feels so us. weird. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah. I think we want, you know, maybe we don't want the dogma of religion. We've had enough time to, you know, know that that doesn't make sense, but our, what is, what is spiritualism? What is this human soul and passion and how it releases and expresses itself in beautiful form, whether it's a song, whether it's a basketball game. I mean, yeah. I mean, these are all just humans, you know, doing the Ram Dass thing, which is just bringing form to the formless. That's what the act of creation is, is that's yeah. what making something is. So whatever it is that you're making, it's humans are doing it and they're bringing form to the formless of, I think there's just beauty in all of that, really. When it's done excellently, that's why we love. That's why we love these records. That's that's why we love these basketball games. That's why we hate our politics. You know, <laughs> that's why we hate everything else. Because <laughs> there isn't there isn't a beautiful it's, form. You know, yeah. it doesn't right, feel right, pure right, to yeah. the to the to the truth or the spirit of. You know, sometimes when they make these rules about new rules about basketball, that some of the wording will be like that. That rule, you know, like this. That's kind of foul, isn't in the spirit of basketball, and that yeah. everyone can kind of understand what that is in a general way, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just think that, yeah, we just create things, and and we want them to be beautiful, you know. And I think we have the ability to make them beautiful, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When um, you know, did you uh, when you were, did you have a feeling at all of writing about? the Ozarks as an outsider for this? Like, was there a, was there a moment for you where you were sort of like, um, I mean, obviously you're connected to the stories, right? Yeah. But you've, but you've lived most of your adult life in other yeah. places. And like, there's that whole, you know, does the place go with you? Are you the place? Yeah. Right. Is that, is that something that you, you, you struggled with at all? Or, or did that pose any challenges? That's a good for question. You? you know, I, I think that it's like, cause there's a big part of me. I was talking to a guy this morning, um, a, a Dutch interviewer, um, who lived in a small town, moved to Amsterdam, and then over the last few years has moved back to a small town and loves it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, you're right. Like I've, I've been, you know, I just, I, when we were talking about our desire to get away from those, those places to go be our true selves or find the light or, or whatnot. Um, and, you know, for me, that was like through going to college and like, and being in rock bands and pursuing music and, um, you know, having cool conversations and cool friends and staying up late and doing all these, mm -hmm. all these crazy things. Um, and I guess there's a place that you kind of like, though, though that's not my lifestyle any, anymore in the Ozarks, it's where I'm from and it's carries through who I am today. You know, there's like, no matter yeah. how, you know, I've, I've got a master's degree. I, I went, got, went to grad school and I've world traveled and I could speak with a sense of having experienced the world in a way that a lot of others have not. Um, but it seems so arrogant after, yeah. after doing some of those things seems yeah. so silly that, you know, that I just went to go visit my, my grandma and family in the Ozarks, um, you know, eight, eight months ago or so. And, you know, in some ways, like their life really wasn't much different than mine because they're out in the country 
out on 2000 acres of farmland. And here I am in the country making some music, gardening my songs, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> that, that I'm a part of all that, that, that it has yeah. influenced me and no doubt a part of who I am, you know? Um, so yeah, I think it, at one space, I, I wanted to be a champion of, of those people. Don't forget about, you know, it's yeah. easy to think of like flyover country and, but this is like a massive yeah. a part, part of our country, you know, like people that are just like living out in farmland that hasn't changed much in a in hundred years. Um, yeah. And are really good people and they're a part of my family and have a lot of good value. Um, and I don't feel like, and I think more in a, a modern day, people are, I think, championing other, other voices or other that you see that like, that's very big. I think with like the modern, like TikTok and like age where it's like, you know, you could have a Southern accent and like host shows, you know, yeah. and, but that's just something you would never right. see like on popular media. Like if you had an accent or oh, yeah. something, you know, yeah. there are just these things yeah. that are sort of like part of a bigger story of media and schooling. And, you know, that's very true in English too. Like all, all English, um, broadcasters have a natural like a the bbc it's a certain yeah. style of talking you know, you wouldn't have someone that had like a hackney accent it's not maybe not a, right, considered right, attractive right. for media or for mass communication maybe even simply but like um but there are a lot of people that i think that's i find that interesting you know like my daughter will be like yeah. listen to voices that you just like actual accents you just haven't heard in america even you know yeah. like um so but uh, yeah, I just think that there's some cool folks and all of them should, uh, should have their stories told a little bit, you know, I just that, came across kind of, the, um, BBC news, uh, BBC news has a pigeon, like pigeon yeah, English okay. ser service uh, yeah. Yeah. and they have, yeah. they have like a whole social media, like you can go on Facebook and read world news written by the BBC like in sort of you know kind of west indies caribbean english and it yeah. is freaking fascinating that that exists you know it seems so good <laughs> yeah to your point yeah. uh along the lines of what we were talking about one of the things i wanted to ask you um as somebody who started out yet really young in the midwest in ohio grew up in the south and now has moved back to the midwest um what you felt like being from the Midwest, being a Midwesterner, like what, what's at the core of that? Like my, my partner's family is from Jeff City in okay. Missouri. So, um, so I, you know, I see that side, which is very different from like the, the South where I grew up for sure. But then Milwaukee is, and Wisconsin is a whole other weird yeah. thing. But I think there's some, some core. And I was interested to see what you feel, what it is about being Midwestern that is necessarily different, I think. I feel like Midwesterners are, um, I don't know. I feel like they're, how do you describe that? It's such a good question because I, it's so slightly varied among these places, yeah. you know, but I, I feel like um, there's an agricultural sense. I feel like it's, Mm -hmm. They're not fascinated necessarily. I mean, I feel like they'd say stuff that today you'd be like, yeah, old timer, you're right about that. You know, they'd say something like, oh, I don't read everything you see in the papers, you know, or, 
<laughs> there's a, I feel like there's a, a skepticism, uh, maybe a yeah. Midwestern skepticism that's a healthy skepticism. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, what Missouri was is the show me state, you know, um, famously, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like, well, show me, you know, I don't believe you, show yeah. me, you know, uh-huh. but I don't think it's an untrustworthy sentiment. Um, I just think that it's a, a community sentiment, you know, because there are just not as many cities. You know, you, you yeah. could, a lot of people could live in mm-hmm. the Ozarks of Missouri and the closest city is, you know, St. Louis or Kansas City or maybe Oklahoma City, which, you know, Oklahoma City is kind of getting how much of a big city is that really? But like, they just they have, they have they might just go to, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. You're right about that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I feel like a lot of times people there, they might just go to like, Springfield, Missouri, or like a city that has 150,000 people or something. Yeah. And they'll go get a bunch of shopping done for six months or, you know, I don't know. There's just a lot of people live like that in Missouri, you know, and there are a lot of small. Yeah. And I think that what what has been fascinating to me is how, uh, so when we first arrived in 2018 and, and my partner, she's from here, from Milwaukee, um, the Midwestern nice, specifically the Wisconsin nice. Yeah. And coming from D.C., that does not exist in D.C. Sure. And we go to a bar and people just start talking to us and people start telling their stories and people want to know our story. And, you know, if you're in D.C. long enough, you're like, everybody, there's a motive. And there <laughs> yeah. really wasn't a <laughs> there really wasn't it a really motive. Really a motive, yeah. And it was and it was disarming because then we were like shit they're gonna find out that we're assholes because <laughs> like, we, we, we are dc yeah but uh by being aware i can tell you over like the past five or six years that i've been here like this is it definitely shifts like you you seem to acclimate to like the speed of stuff like you said there's sure. there's stuff uh part of our family lives on a farm down in uh in franksville you know an hour from here and um it it's not stuff that a lot of people are necessarily used to. And certainly on the East coast, you don't see as much of it. And so here, but here it's the norm. Yeah. And so you have to, you have to take it. Like, for example, you have to take care of your neighbor. Like her mom has a neighbor and they're just sort of a group and they share land and they take care of each other. Their nearest neighbor is like two miles away. And it's just, it's just life is different. And that's, that's after living it, in so many different places than going to Europe, you know, um, life is just different everywhere. And people are a product of those places. Like I said, like, you know, and they're bigger than those places, but you know, um, there's some beautiful things that happen from those kind of communities and that kind of process. And, yeah. um, so yeah, I think just being in small towns, there's just a lot of those small towns, yeah. small town going through Missouri you know um yep and there is a kindness you know i think that there is a genuine spirit um people don't like honk their horns at each other as much as they might like in the cities <laughs> for sure that would yeah. be considered rude. Sure. like what's yeah what's is this guy being an aggressive person maybe even you know yeah yeah it would be so shocking is what i mean it's just something you wouldn't handle yourself like so I don't know, senses of decorum that are, that are nice. Um, that I think everyone appreciates, you know? Um, yeah. but yeah, I think it's similar in Milwaukee and there's a, yeah, 
Yeah, it's just it's just a different it's a different speed. Yeah, cities are just different structures, just the nature of them. You know, they're just they're they're bigger. They have they serve way more interests. You know, from jobs yeah. to resources to right. politics and policy that it has to achieve. There's just so many more interests. You know, you know, it's like there are just fewer interests when it's a small town. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, really, it's like my grandma they're just on a couple thousand acres, and you know, it's just. I don't know. The day is long, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. The day is long. Except for the Midwest midnight, which is like at 8 p.m. You're like, oh, guess I can go to bed now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. People can kind of be depressed there. You know, come 5 o'clock and it's dark outside. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, yeah, we're getting up on that. Um, Before we get out of here, because we've been going about an hour, uh, I wanted to not uh, miss talking about Cosmic Eagle. Your your Substack. So this is uh, a, a Substack a newsletter that you've started up that is now I think sort of part of like your the Israel Nash like experience, if you will. Definitely. Um, is this something that you're just doing for the record, or is this something you see going forward? Because for people who don't know, it basically gives you access to like new songs, behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. I think writings from you as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's just been like a space to kind of share like these. There are going to be a lot more kind of uh, longer reads and stuff that are coming out when the album is out. Um, but it's been a lot. It kind of allowed me to go because I document all these these old demos, so I can kind of throw those up yeah. there, talk about it. But it's also this kind of like real world fan club because we'd started to do these pop up shows and people that have access to the Cosmic Eagle can get tickets to that and have discounts. We're really trying to build this like fan club that's using digital tools and just building it over time. Cause I just, I mean, I really think that's the future um, of just having just like knowing your fan base pretty well and knowing that, Hey, there are certain Mm -hmm. fans that want this and certain fans that just want to spend the record. There are certain fans that want to come to one show. There are certain fans that want to come to a few shows there's some that, you know, want to come to the most intimate setting and and share other parts of their life or something. And it's like, how do, in a modern world, if we can kind of connect with everyone, shouldn't we be able to do that better? And I think it, in our, back to our 90s yeah. thing, it was just like, sell a bunch of records. And you know, it wasn't about these nuanced fans and how people can listen to music. So I think that's what I'm really committed to doing is like, and I've got a lot of good help with the team on that, but like to build something in time that we can just over the years kind of focus on just the same way we would touring and other aspects to build this kind of community that we can kind of have a fan club, send new albums to vinyl, like each year, give them yeah. discounts uh, with like tickets and just like inside baseball kind of stuff, you know, um, and just really grow and learn from it. I mean, it's not at all where I, where I want it to be in the end, you know, it's like, I want to keep on, you know, I think we've, I've done a few of these where I've had some interviews and stuff. Um, so there are a lot of ideas that we have to kind of keep bringing just more things through that, you know, and growing right. it. Right. Right. And because it can't necessarily be about like infinite growth all the time. Like everything can't be that. Exactly. Um, nobody wants that. Even if <laughs> the people are telling yeah, us that that's the way it should be. 
Um, is that is that where the the touring Europe more so comes in? Is that because that's where necessarily your fan base is? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that I have got such a strong fan base in Europe since like my first album. Really, it was just mm-hmm. it was just an easier growth. Cause it's like, I have, I have some really strong markets that are good in the, in the States, but there's a lot of green in between them, you know, like a lot of land. And that's, that's probably the hardest thing, honestly, is like in Europe. I mean, we, we can hit stuff more closely together. I mean, there are a lot more cities through all, you know, cause even like, you know, I can be in Amsterdam and then. 30 minutes and Amsterdam is Utrecht. And maybe a lot of people haven't heard of that city, but it's a major city that's, yeah. you know, as big as, you know, Milwaukee or something, you know? So, yeah. Um, so it's just easier for us to financially make sense of it, you know, rather than like, cool, I've got these like seven or eight really great markets in the States, but man, that's, it's a big country. <laughs> When you compare yeah. it to Europe, so it, it, yeah. it is. That's a big part of it. Um, is just the ease of traveling. It's the in between of the U.S. that makes it really hard on bands. You know, where it's like yeah. I can go do a killer show in Austin, um, have a really good show in in Dallas. You know, but then once you start heading out west, I might not really have a a really great city kind of market until L.A. or something. You know, um, yeah. it's just tough to yeah. all those days in between, you know? So, I mean, that's what we're trying to do on, especially coming back and kind of seeing how the post pandemic stuff is. I mean, there's just still a lot of uncertainty. I mean, artists have still cancel a lot of stuff more than the normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to do stuff like kind of smart. We're hitting some of these, some of our, our better markets only optimizing like radio plays and all this other stuff that we're trying to do. And just kind of rather than trying to do 50 shows in the States, just like sell out these and then let's release some more. I think it's just, yeah, you got to play safer in the States to me. And um, in Europe, once we're there, we're there and we played tickets, plane tickets and everything. So we need to like play a bunch of shows. Um, Yeah. So that does make it easier in that regard, though. Just access to a bunch of cities. Okay. And a bunch of different countries and all those different countries have kind of retained their, their unique media cultures. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is a fascinating conversation really, I find, because it's like, so you can go to France, you know, and they have a unique media culture. Yeah. They have Rolling Stone France. Yeah. You know, they're you not, they're to, not going to run some interviews you did. Yeah. Right. So then yeah. you can just swing over to Germany and then they have Rolling Stone Germany and their radio market. So there's something unique about that too, that, in our world, our country being so big and just having these, some of these, some of these magazines and stuff that have almost folded, you know, that they yeah. actually still have viewership almost because maybe they were small in the first place. I don't know what the phenomenon is, but I think that's fascinating, you know, um, they have yeah, their we, own we radio actually, and everything. So it's, yeah, it's like, you're going to a new, you're literally going to a new country every time where I've, I just feel like maybe our globalism and the country, our country is just sort of like blurred stuff where it doesn't have that much fine edges. I don't know. 
like, like you said, it's massive. We, we just talked to uh, Alabaster Plume about, and we were talking about touring and over there he's in London. So he can like bounce around and like play all these gigs. And I said something to the effect like, Oh, I might come down from Chicago, from Milwaukee to Chicago. And his immediate response was like, you people talk like that over there? <laughs> like, that's 90 minutes. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? But, and, and it really drove home that it, how very different a market it is. Do you see from country to country how the audiences um, reflect back how they're perceiving your work? Is that any different or are they all kind of like, it's just a wavelength? Man, I feel like it's just a wavelength, you know? Um, nice. I would say when I was, you know, everyone's different, but man, like people in a room with a beer in their hand at nine o'clock, yeah. listening to good music and guitar solos, it's like, that just feels so universal, yep. you know, yeah. it, it just doesn't feel any different to me, you know? So I mean, my fans are music fans. If they're in the States yeah. or in Europe, they are, they're music fans that have record collections and music's a real part of their life, you know? Yeah. Not just as like passive kind of, algorithm or something you know it's like yeah. they're happy about vinyl and tactile things and art and yeah you know feeling you know got to that's got that's to. the action right mm -hmm. yeah so hopefully we'll drive in more people to feel guys so i'm glad that, <laughs> that you guys are fighting a good fight and we'll keep on yeah. fighting guitars in hand <laughs> yeah in indeed well uh everybody hearing this as is out now um, it's out uh, next it's week. Out, yeah. yeah, but they'll hear it on Saturday. So. Oh, sorry. We're, we're doing, we're doing a little you time travel. Sly. I love it. <laughs> um, uh, and you are going out on tour starting in January. Is that right? Or yeah. I? End of, I guess part of the end of January through February in, uh, Europe and doing a whole yeah. bunch of countries. Um, and then, March and May dates we have released for the States. So it'll be West Coast in March. Nice, nice. Um, and then May will be in Austin and the East Coast. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think we'll have some more stuff coming out too. Yeah, that's going to be a good tour. Like, yeah. I hope to, I know Eduardo's in DC, so he'll definitely catch you there. I hope to catch up with you. Yeah, then we'll be at Hamilton oh, live. Nice. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that'll be really fun. Nice. Um, yeah, go check it out. But yeah, we'll definitely hook up um, while I'm out there and say hi. Enjoy yeah. the city. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for talking to me. Yeah, man. Thank you. Big thanks to Israel there for taking the time out. Uh, I think I was excited for you to talk to him, Eduardo, because I had already talked to him. It's just, it's one yeah. of those things that it's, you're going to have a good human conversation. Yeah. He is, he is, he is such a smart and thoughtful guy. And uh, really, you know, there's, um, 
there's this way in which he's really, um, I don't know. This is one of those words that I overuse a little bit sometimes, but like, he's just really generous. Like he just really, uh, is, you know, and, and I think he's someone like, you know, he's, he's, he's had all this success in Europe and I think it's probably a little bit curious for him to like get interest from kind of U S based media because, uh, it seems like he gets a ton of coverage there and here, here, not so much. Um, and that's a shame because, He's been putting out some really fucking great albums for the last few years. Yeah, we we you know you heard us touch on the music space a little bit, and and it is confounding a lot of times. Uh, we've said this a lot. You know, there are bands that do a thing very well, and and our attention spans are such that we're just like, well, okay, I, I need something else. Uh, I'm I'm guilty of that. I think I think we all yeah, yeah. are guilty of that. Uh, although I will say with his catalog, this is just comfort food at this point. Um, if he puts out something, it, it, I'm going to listen to it and I'm going inter- to just bring it into my life. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get to find out if any of the solos on the record are actually played by Mike Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> we we can pick him back. We can pick him back. If, uh, I've been working on this theory for a while. That yeah. Actually, like yeah. <laughs> Mike Campbell just materialized in the studio and laid down a couple of solos for them. It's, you know, uh, he has a thing when South by Southwest is in swing where, um, and I forget the name of it off the top of my head right now, but, uh, where he does a whole like day of shows out there. Mm-hmm. So people go out to his ranch in Dripping Springs and play, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody like yeah. Mike Campbell just showed up. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know. And this is, we didn't talk to him about this either. Uh, I, I, I kind of am getting the feeling that he is like, the guy that the guys in the bands like now, this is his yes. reputation. Yeah. You know, I see that you, you hear, you hear people like, Oh, who you listen to. And they're like, Hey, Israel Nash. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. But, uh, but yeah, such a fun dude. Uh, such a fun chat. And, um, man, glad that, glad that happened. I yeah. think, uh, and, and it's, and it's, it's better than us reviewing the record. Cause it would have just been basically both of us like drooling. For minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a little secret behind the scenes secret. Uh, there's a lot of times when we talk to an artist because reviewing the record would just be pointless for us. Yeah. Uh, the Jason Hawk Harris one was yeah. exactly that. I mean, there's a lot of things we could say there's our, you know, our notes are extensive usually, but, but really it's just better to have when something that pure comes your way to have like, let's just have this person talk about it and see what they think. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, we've talked about this a lot about doing these more like, uh, do we become an interview show? I don't know. It's, it's fun. It's different. Uh, and it, it, it means something different. I think. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But, you know, um, it's also great. It's, you know, it's great that, I mean, I'll, I'll just say like of, you know, the people we talk to are usually people that not a lot of other people are talking to. Yeah. And it's really great to know that. Like, <laughs> that's because <laughs> that's because we get a lot of no's. No. <laughs> Bruce Hornsby. Bruce Hornsby. Yeah. No. Um, but, but, you know, more so like, you know, having like, like knowing that we have like, Gus Fairbairn on, on record talking about his music, that we have Jason Hawk Harris, yeah. that we have Israel Nash. Like these are, these are hopefully, you know, I think these are all important musicians and I think having, at least having you know, 
going, I mean, yeah, you, you can go so, all the way yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, 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 you know, contributing a little bit to the record of like what these artists have said and what they've talked about is really, really feels cool. And it feels like something that we can do that is, you know, as we talk about like, again, what is this show? Why are we doing it? What do we get out of it? Like one thing that, that we definitely can do that is a, that is a net good, I think, is to give more artists a chance to talk about their shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hands down. Uh, so that is our show. We'll be back. Uh, we don't, you know, we, we went in this season thinking we were going to plan it out. We haven't planned it out. <laughs> we have not. We, just we have not. It's like life, man. You just gotta, you just gotta That's right. find your vibe and then make your way through it. But we will be back. Uh, and I think we are going to stay the course right now is how we do the show uh, through the end of the season. But then, you know, we take a nice, not as long as the summer break, but nice long break starting in December and come back in January and maybe to Maybe it'll be a whole new thing. Yeah. Maybe the show will just be about Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> repeated. This week, this week with this, yeah. this week with Bruce, he just decides to come on every week. I promise we won't get sick of it. Uh, but uh, at any rate, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back, and uh, you know, listen to music, go see shows, do all that. Take care of yourself. Be safe. Later. Let's go.